Let us pray. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand that understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1067 through 1068. Listen carefully for the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against the enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As your shoes and your feet put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am the ambassador in chains. Pray that I, that I may declare it boldly as I must speak the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bob. And for our second lesson, it is the gospel for the day. We turn to John's gospel, the sixth chapter, beginning at... Verse 56. You can find it if you'd like to follow along on page 973 in your pew Bibles. Again, listen for the word of God. Jesus says, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like that which your ancestors ate and they died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Here ends the reading of our scripture lesson for this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us begin in prayer. Loving God, we've heard the words of scriptures read. We ask that you would be at work among us this day by the power of your Holy Spirit to open our ears, but also our minds and our very hearts, that we might receive him to whom the scriptures witness your living word, Jesus Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, as we begin, I need to acknowledge that this is, for me at least, a rather different kind of sermon than usual. That's because, as some of you know, this is my last sermon from this pulpit uh, in officially my position as your called associate for pastoral care. And today, we are one week shy of the 13th anniversary of my coming here to take on that role. So, some of you may remember that 12 years and 51 weeks ago, I stood here in this pulpit for the first time and said that my being here was proof that if God wanted to do a thing, whatever roadblocks we human beings and our institutions might put up would not long stand against it, no matter whether it seemed usual or not. And in the past almost 13 years, we've been through a lot together, haven't we? I'd been here just a month when Sam DeLongchamp had his accident. Some of you will remember that. And more has happened to us together than I have time to list this morning, up to and including the excitement of the last couple of years. But through it all, I've done my best, sinful though I may be as a human being, to be faithful to the call I felt in coming here. And you all have been incredibly faithful in loving and supporting me in all the challenges and adventures and opportunities for growth that life has sent our way together. And no words can adequately express how grateful I am for your love and support 
across these 13 years. Thank you. So, so I'll be here next Sunday, uh, just not preaching. Danny will be doing that. Um, but what I'd like to do this morning is to take a look at our texts and along the way uh, speak a sort of a valedictory, see where they say words to us and to you as a congregation in the time that goes ahead uh, as we prepare for life and the challenges as a congregation, which means a group of God's people called here. I remind you, that is the most basic and true understanding of what it means to be a community of faith together. We Presbyterians hold to a phrase you've heard before, the sovereignty of God, meaning that we respond to God's call to obedience. And that's true of our being here as well. And so, looking at our texts. Our passages for today are both from the lectionary. For 40 years and a little bit more, I have been, uh, according to what I have felt to be my leading, a lectionary preacher by and large. And our texts for this morning are both the epistle and the gospel lessons for this day, respectively. Now, one thing that has occurred to me as I thought about these texts over the last couple of weeks preparing for this sermon, I'm sure is not what the lectionary deciders had in mind, and I have no idea who those people are. I asked Kim earlier if she knew. I, we just get the texts written on the calendar for Sundays for throughout the church. But in any case, um, I'm sure this is not what they had in mind, but what these texts have in common for me, at least, is that they both present certain challenges for the Christian believer who takes them seriously today. As I was thinking about this, um, I stood, as I sometimes do, looking at the books on my bookshelf. Um, for me, at this time in my life, only partly avoiding um, having to take them down and put them in boxes and move them home, but in any event. Um, I came across a book by Eugene Peterson, um, the translator of The Message, a contemporary, uh, Christian, uh, a contemporary English translation of the Bible, which many of you know. Um, it's about spiritual reading and reading scripture as a spiritual discipline. In the very beginning, he tells a story about his dog, um, as a dog owner, that resonated with me, of course. And um, they lived in Montana at the time, and they had a small dog who would go out behind uh, the house in which they lived into the, the hills, the foothills of the mountains of Montana, and find a, a carcass left by a predator, coyotes likely most often, or perhaps a bear or something like that. And being a small dog, he would pick a bone almost as big as himself and drag it back to the backyard and present it to the family, as dogs do. And the family, Peterson and, and his wife, uh, oohed and odd and praised the dog for being a good dog. And after a few minutes, 
the social aspects of that interaction, Peterson says, satisfied, the dog would grab the bone and drag it off to the back of the backyard, about 20 yards away, usually underneath a large moss-covered boulder, and begin to work on the bone. The social aspects over, uh, he says, now the pleasure becomes solitary. He gnaws the bone, turns it over and around, licks it, worrying it. Sometimes we could hear a low rumble or growl, what in a cat would be a purr. He was obviously enjoying himself and in no hurry. And after a leisurely couple of hours, he would bury it and return again the next day to take it up again. An average bone lasted about a week. Peterson writes, I always took delight in my dog's delight, his playful seriousness, his childlike spontaneities now totally absorbed in the one thing needful. But imagine my further delight in coming upon a phrase one day while reading Isaiah, in which I found the poet prophet observing something similar to what I enjoyed so much in my dog, except that his animal was a lion instead of a dog as a lion or a young lion growls over his prey. Growls is the word that caught my attention and brought me that little pop of delight. What my dog did over his precious bone, making those low throaty rumbles of pleasure as he gnawed, enjoyed, and savored his prize, Isaiah's lion did to his prey. The nugget of my delight was noticing the Hebrew word here translated as growl. Understand, Eugene Peterson does his devotional reading in Hebrew in the Old Testament. Hagah, usually translated as meditate, as in the Psalm 1 phrase describing the blessed man or woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord on which he meditates day and night. But Isaiah uses this word to refer to a lion growling over his prey, the way my dog worried a bone. He goes on, meditate is too far too tame a word. Meditate seems more suited to what I do in a quiet chapel on my knees with a candle burning on the altar. But when Isaiah's lion and my dog meditated, they chewed and swallowed using teeth and tongue, stomachs, stomach and intestines. Isaiah's lion, he writes, was meditating his goat, if that's what it was. My dog was meditating his bone. Well, I say that because in John's gospel, as Kim pointed out last week, Jesus uses a similar word when he talks about eating his flesh. For those of you who were not here, Kim told us that the word used in the original language is the word used often to describe a cow chewing its cud, or I would suspect a lion chewing on its prey, far more than us what comes to our mind, tearing off a little piece of communion bread. Jesus is describing something much more earthy and involving. We miss that when we read fairly casually, it seems to me, the English words as we so 
often do. And a similar thing happens in our text for today in verse 60 when the disciples say, this teaching is difficult. Now, that's a very polite thing to say, isn't it? We in the South are comfortable with that. This teaching is difficult. But what that polite English translation misses is the tone of the word used here, which originally might be something more along the lines of us saying, that's disgusting. Or maybe, okay, Lord, that's just gross. Which better explains what happens in verse 66, which tells us that Many of the disciples, and John is talking about here not just the 12, but about the larger group that has been following Jesus around to see his signs, his miracles, and hear his teaching, they leave. They say this and then go and won't follow him anymore, John says. They won't go about with him any longer. Enough so that Jesus turns to the 12 and asks if they too are going to leave. And Peter responds, and again, I am translating freely here into our everyday language, something like, where are we going to go? You're the only one with the words of eternal life. You've convinced us. We've become convinced that you're the Holy One of God. In this text, I think we are reminded that Jesus makes clear that following him isn't a matter of finding the most exciting, most entertaining, most pleasant show in town. So being faithful as the church isn't about putting on a splashy show of of religious entertainment so that everyone's excited, excited and crowds come and we have to put folding chairs out and standing room only Sunday by Sunday. That's not a bad thing, but it's not the point. If it happens, it happens, but understand there's a certain shallowness there. Instead, I think we are to understand that being the church is about taking seriously the fellowship that Christ calls his followers into. Rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, praying for one another in all circumstances. What we talk about, I think, today as pastoral care. It's about chewing on the word together, like Peterson's dog and Isaiah's lion did over their prey. Meditating on it just as they meditated on their bones, growling with deep satisfaction when an insight comes to us. In other words, Christian education, equipping, growing together in the word, together. And all of that results in being missional. And yes, that is a real word. Following. Living lives that go out to do the work of building God's justice and righteousness in this community, in our nation, and across the world, even as you as a congregation 
have done in Honduras and Kenya and Nicaragua, in IBEAM and ESOL here locally. Do this, Jesus says, and you will have life. It is a promise. And in our Ephesians text, and I don't know about you, but in my experience um, across my ministry and before from when I began to take the Christian faith seriously as an adult, most often I've heard this text, the armor of God, treated as a metaphor with preachers going into great detail, explicating the imagery about the parts of the armor, which are defensive, which are offensive, how they're used, and so on and so forth, how it applies to each particular Christian quality of life. Well, my brain doesn't work that way. I tend to see things in broad strokes, and for me, that seems to be overthinking it. What I realized in getting ready for this sermon today that I hadn't realized before is that this passage comes at the end of the letter. The writer is closing. He is saying goodbye. And so it has a certain resonance for me today. And what he's doing, what he wants to say is that we in the church are not in harmony with the driving principles of this world. In fact, we are to understand that we are over against them. In some ways, in our language, what we might say is something like, understand that the church is always a countercultural institution. So it seems to me to be clear, I've said this before, whenever someone in church says something like as part of a discussion or a study or a debate, I know this is church, but... There's a very real possibility that you're about to be asked to sell your soul. Or at least to forget what the church is and is called to be and to do. And to do something completely different, which maybe amounts to the same thing. In any event, here is what the writer to the Ephesians and to us says. Don't forget that you... Don't live in the world easily on harmonious terms. You are a soldier. And those you fight against aren't the people around you, but the forces that are trying to manage the world for their own purposes. Evil and falsehood and injustice. So put on the spiritual armor that suits God's followers, God's soldiers, truth, righteousness, whatever motivates you to proclaim the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God. There it is again, which the Holy Spirit will open to you. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, on my last official sermon as your associate for pastoral care, this is what I want to say to you. You are here because of the highest calling possible to show the world what it means to be a community of Christ's disciples, not a spiritual country club 
where you come to be entertained and have coffee together. But a place, no, not a place, a people who share together life's joys and sorrows, struggling together with life's deepest and hardest questions and circumstances, not always agreeing, but always loving one another, meditating together on God's word and responding to God's call in Jesus Christ to carry the love we see in him out into the community and the world around us, into all the hurting places of the world, both down the street and across the ocean. You were doing that long before I came here, almost 13 years ago. Don't stop now. I know you won't. May God's richest blessings be upon you now and always. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.